who am I, where did I come from, and where am I going? Mm. Those are the three big essential questions that we must ask ourselves and we must find out answers in our lives. And if your who am I changes against your will, that is traumatic. If you can't accept where you come from, if you don't know where you're going, that is traumatic. This internalized ableism does more damage than any cure to try to, you know, make people fit into the mainstream. Episode 13, Why We Use Labels. Welcome to the Autistic Culture Podcast. Each episode, we dive deep into autistic contributions to society and culture by introducing you to some of the world's most famous and successful autistics in history. Before we get started, a quick disclaimer on how we use the word autistic. The purpose of this show is not to diagnose the people or characters we discuss as autistic. While some may have announced being autistic, what we're really sharing here is our observation of what is representative of autistic culture. It can sometimes be difficult for autistic people to celebrate our natural tendencies and traits due to the perception of autism as a disorder that needs to be fixed, a long history of damaging medical interventions to get autistics to fit in with mainstream culture, and protective masking skills many of us have developed to try to stay safe. Whether you are autistic or just love someone who is, your hosts, Dr. Angela Loria, the linguistic autistic. And licensed psychological practitioner, Matt Lowry, welcome you to take this time to be fully immersed in the language, values, traditions, norms, and identity of Autistica. Well, Matt, we got a lot of listener feedback that I need to share with you. And first of all, I want to say so grateful that we have listeners. So if you're listening, yay. yeah, yay. And I'm not mad about this, but I thought it was something we needed to talk about. So I'm going to share with you. Actually, here, I'll have you read it. This was the first comment that we got. And when I got this comment, I was like, oh, this is interesting. So read this one. I know there's a lot of autistic people out there, but I am just amazed at how everything has to have a label now. Right. And so I was like, all right, this lady just felt like she needed to have her voice heard. I don't know if I feel like responding. I think I haven't responded. This is our response. Uh, But then I got this one, which made me, I don't know, a little bit more interested. So here's comment number two. It is valuable to be me and not be labels. Yeah, so actually... Is it valuable to be me? Yeah, so she says, is it valuable to be me? And she puts it in quotes and not be labels. And maybe she meant labeled, but I get the point here. Does the label autism serve me or does it harm me? And I was like, well, that's more interesting than the first lady's comment. Maybe we should talk about this. It's not, it's not my, my initial reaction, especially because these two comments came like back to back for me. My mm-hmm. initial comment was like, why are you telling me what to do? Ask autistic people 
I don't know if either of these people are autistic. I'm guessing they're not. I don't know. But like, but then I was like, well, maybe labels are a form of reductionism and maybe everybody doesn't like labels. There are some ways maybe labels separate us and they can be inflexible. And within autism, we do have some label issues. I will say for me personally, I was very, and there's, I have lots of feelings about this now. And when we know better, we do better. I was very proud to be Aspie. I used the label Aspie for a decade. I used the name Sassy Aspie on TikTok. Like I was very attached to that label and I had to do a lot of work and a lot of reading to let go of that label. So I don't want to just say all labels 100% of the time are always good. We should label everyone and everything. And maybe this was Carol, maybe Carol, it is valuable sometimes to just be you and not be labels. But Matt, I also think there's something important about claiming or reclaiming the label autism. So I I guess I just wanted to start by asking you, what are your thoughts on these fine listener comments we have received? Oh, my thoughts are numerous and intense. Yes, <laughs> we're going that way for this episode. <laughs> So, yeah, uh, uh, I also used to identify as Aspie because I've I've known that uh, I was autistic formerly, the artist formerly known as Asperger's since <laughs> I was a teenager. But uh, one of the things, when I started working in community mental health over a decade ago, uh, I had a supervisor and I started doing a group for autistic kids, uh, Asperger kids, and uh, I let the kids know, oh yeah, I'm one of you. I I also have collections. I've got my lightsaber collection behind me. I have uh, an inordinate number of facts about movies and voice actors. I'm definitely one of y'all. So I was talking with my supervisor about this, a, again, psychologist. And I, she asked me how things were going. I was like, oh yeah, I'm having a great time with my Aspie group. Mm-hmm. And she said, oh my God, you can't say that. And I mm. said, say what? She says, Aspie. And trigger warning, she said, it's like saying the word retard. Oh, oh. Yeah. Yeah. And I said, no, that's how I identify because I'm Asperger's. Like our word that we call ourselves, you're going to tell me is a slur. Got it. Exactly. And, And then she said, Matt, you can't ever tell anybody that because you can't be a professional and also be Asperger's. Mm, well, that's going to so, be a problem. So that's when uh, I had to go deep into the closet for a very long time. And it uh, really impacted my mental health because not being able to identify. Well, I mean, I still did with the kids. <laughs> but because, uh, again, uh, yeah, but then working, you have to be careful. You're like on guard. Oh, like, oh, is this a meeting with staff? Is this my right. annual report? Is this my like yeah. whatever going to affect my career? That's the thing, because even like with school staff, I would take notes on my phone because it was easy and my handwriting is atrocious. The school psychologist would always get upset that I was, quote, playing on my phone. Yeah, I got that. I got that. I got. Oh, I got that, too. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Coworkers would complain that I'm weird. One time I left a meeting and one coworker just got up and started talking about how weird I am and they had to shut her down. One coworker said, Matt, where y'all from? Y'all talk funny. And I said, the moon. 
This is how moon people talk. Because that's the thing. When we're not allowed to have a label, when we're not allowed to have a cultural identity, people still label us, but give us really bad labels. And uh, coincidentally enough, I got a new STEM toy. This is a gold-plated die with uh, the periodic element uh, for gold, AU. I love it. And uh, it is gold if you're not looking at the video. So it's a gold dice and it says AU. For autism, I love but but it. also because it's uh, auric, uh, the the you know the gold element. But yeah, I I'm stimming with that as we speak and not making eye contact, as is the way of our people. Mm. But that's the thing: we get labeled regardless. I was labeled as a kid as weird. Uh, I was labeled as a kid everything. Uh, but finding other people like you know the Aspie group, uh, I I. When I first started at the UK, I was working in the, well, I I first started in the physiology lab and then went to the autism lab. And I had a great time learning about autistic kids, presumably with autistic staff, because let's face it, they were all socially awkward too. But I learned about autism. I learned about autistic kids. I learned about how these people work and realized this is where I feel comfortable. These are my people. And I didn't feel anywhere near as comfortable working with, you know, neurotypical people or holistic people as I did working with autistic people. So I want to talk about, this is a very subtle but huge distinction. We talk about autistic culture, autism, being autistic, but we don't talk a lot about autism spectrum disorder or Uh. ASD. But listen, I think neurotypicals don't hear a difference. Like, I think those two things sound very different to us. Autism spectrum disorder and autism. Like, uh, they're two massively different conversations. But I think when Patricia and Carol, our listeners, wrote in, they don't hear a distinction between ASD, which is a label assigned to us, by neurotypicals, by the diagnostic criteria that the Board of Psychiatry has decided for us versus me saying I'm Aspie back in the day, now I'm autistic. Me saying that is very different than me being labeled or even diagnosed ASD. Yes. Can you talk about that difference? Because it sounds like we're pro labels, except only when we like them and two labels that sound exactly the same to the outside world. In this field, especially interacting with neurotypical evaluators, the biggest thing that I see, the difference between my evaluations and their evaluations is that their evaluations focus entirely on deficits and the things that keep people from being quote unquote normal. And Because this is the perception from outsiders. Outsiders don't understand us. Uh, Neurotypical people and holistic people do not understand the autistic brain. They don't understand why we have big emotions. They don't understand why we collect things. They see everything we do as a hindrance to being, quote, normal. They, They want to find a cure so that we can be like them. And this comes from, again, a colonialist mindset where everybody in the world is somehow deficient and needs someone uh, from presumably a European country to colonize them and make them more proper. 
And this so is my biggest problem. So when we're saying when we're saying autistic, it's like a from a place of power, from a place of reclaiming our identity and the truth about ourselves. But when we hear autism spectrum disorder, or like for me, sometimes even on the spe- I don't really love on the spectrum even sometimes yeah. because I think it implies ASD disorder, yeah. medical, fix it, find these people a pill. Yeah. And that's the big thing because it's promoted by, uh, especially like the ABA industry is a $1.8 billion a year industry that thrives on trying to change us. Unsuccessfully, I might add. It doesn't thrive. It goes out of business without that. Exactly. So they need to pathologize autism instead of saying, because that's the thing, acceptance is free. Uh, if you're paying $1.8 billion a year to change us, they can make a ton of money off of that, even though it doesn't really work. Right. A study after study has shown that there are no long-term measurable benefits of it and lots of potential trauma that comes from it. Yeah. And this is a big thing about because when we talk about being autistic, it's like being Canadian. We are proud to be Canadian. This is the land of our heritage. And when you look at autism, the latest studies show that autism uh, has a 94% heritability rate, Mm. which means that people are 94% likely to pass it on from parent to child. Which means if you find an autistic child, you usually find an autistic parent who usually has an autistic parent themselves who going all the way back up the family tree. This is just a cultural thing. We have been autistic since the beginning of time. And unless autism speaks as their way, we'll be autistic until the end of time. Mm-hmm. And I see it as a cultural thing. I see it as a collection of traits that are due entirely to us being a part of the autistic people. And I I don't see it as a disorder in the least. I see that we have a, uh, we, we do have a disability from the social model because we live in a world that is not designed to accommodate us. Right. There are lots so- of autistic kids who cannot speak and need AAC devices. There are lots of autistic people who have executive functioning difficulties, likely due to trauma, and need assistance. But it's not a disorder. So when Carol says, is it valuable to be me and not be a label, I think the answer is it depends on what the label is. If the label is pathologizing you and sending you down a track that's likely to increase your your symptoms while claiming to treat you, then it is not very valuable to be that label. But if the label is, I'm Canadian, and that makes you feel more you and you're like hockey and poutine all the way or I'm Canadian, but I hate hockey. Like that's a way that you become more yourself because of that label, not less yourself. It's very interesting that I think a lot of neurotypical people feel like they need to um Tell, tell us it will be helpful to us to not have a label. That reminded me of a conversation that I've had about uh, I don't see color. Ah, Do you yeah, know the exactly, I don't see color? Exactly. And yeah. it, it comes from this, I guess, good place back to colonialism. But it's like, I just want you to know I value you. I don't see color which I think means some version of I'm so glad I don't have to worry about being brown or black. (laughs) Right, because that's the thing. I mean, 
I, <laughs> every person of color that I know, being a person of color is important to their identity. It informs who they are. And for someone, especially from a white privileged place, to say that they don't see color means that they intentionally discount an important part of the identity of the person they're talking to and that they see that part of their identity as somehow flawed because they're willing to look past an important part of identity to see a person for something else and therefore create an image in their head that is not accurate to the person as they actually are. Right. That is a place of privilege and a place of really bizarre uh, systemic racism, uh, systemic injustice. And uh, it, it's it's rightfully offensive to anyone who hears it. It's like, yeah, it's um, it's almost a race. I don't see color. I don't see you. I don't see autism. Why do you need that label? Yeah. Why, just like, let that go. You could just, uh, I remember Tom Cruise jumping on Oprah's couch about how depression didn't exist. Like, yeah. really? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, and this is the big thing about, so there was uh, this study about uh, whether people prefer autistic or person-first mm. language, like a person with autism. Professionals inevitably choose a person with autism because they see it as a thing that can be separated from us. Yeah, professionals Rather than being and Canadian, neurotypical parents yes. who want to fix their kids. Yes, exactly. Mm. This is a big thing because that... Uh, a neurotypical parent, and I've had this conversation, I, I just posted a memory a while back about, uh, a while back, this neurotypical parent uh, and their uh, new spouse came in, and uh, the kid is autistic, neurotypical parent isn't, neurotypical parent's new spouse isn't, clearly the other parent was the autistic parent. Uh, and I said, oh yeah, I know all about this, I'm autistic. And they said, how great for you. Are you high-functioning? And <laughs> And their, their tone immediately changed in that, you know, because I'm autistic, I'm somehow deficit. You have or you have overcome. Yes. I think uh, how great for you is like the inspiration porn. Wow. God, yes, and yes. you are working and smiling. This is amazing. You are my inspiration. You can open doors all by yourself. <laughs> I once got a call and uh, asked uh, about that, and I gave them the spiel, and they said, oh, that's fantastic. Can I talk to your supervisor about scheduling an appointment? So I said, hold on, I'll get him for you, and hang up. Yeah. Because, yeah, I'm not dealing with that. I'm not dealing with ableist stuff. I've worked hard to build my own practice, not in spite of my autism, but because this is the field that I've chosen because I'm autistic. This is my slant on the world. This is my understanding of the world. And therefore, I work best with other people like me because I understand them. I understand autistic people. I understand how, you know, traditional therapy may not be effective. So we take a new route. I understand autistic trauma because this is how my brain is wired. And let's go back to high functioning, low functioning. Oh, and those labels, which again, I think... Um, professionals and parents, neurotypical parents of kids, like, the, oh, you're so high functioning. Yeah. What What do you hear? Because that's another label that maybe we don't like as much as the label autism. What do you hear when you hear high functioning, low functioning? What What do you think is the story under those terms? 
uh, it's a false dichotomy because the label low functioning is used to get rid of autonomy and the label high functioning is used to get rid of support systems. Yeah. Because this is the thing. Our functioning is dependent entirely upon a system uh, of uh, like, uh, depending on how overwhelmed we are socially, how sensory overload we uh, are experiencing, uh, depending on how stressed we are, how tired we are, we might be very, very high functioning in the morning, but by the afternoon we're wiped out and we can't do anything. And this is a big thing because the real, the, the realistically, we are all of the above, depending on how much stress we're under. When autistic people find a special interest, they go deep and have a lot of knowledge, even if they don't have that formal education background to go with it. If you want to capture your spin in a book, check out Angela's work at differencepress.com, differencepress.com, and find out more about becoming an author and establishing your credibility with a book. At one point in my career before the pandemic and before I had autistic burnout, I was doing like six events a month that were three day events, traveling 200 days the year. And I was almost completely nonverbal when I was not on stage. Yes, But when you saw me on stage, I was like talking a mile a minute, like had a big audience, had millions of followers but almost no ability to function the rest right. of the time, at least in any useful humaning way. Yeah, yeah. And and people don't see that because that's the thing. Neurotypicals don't have the extreme highs and lows that we have. They, they work on this steady middle ground of neither high nor low. So they don't understand what it's like to be ultra productive and then be a zombie. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in within five minutes. Yes, exactly. Not because even like takes, six years later, I was a zombie. No, it's like six minutes and then I'm fine and then I'm not. And it seems like I'm lying. I realized when I worked in the schools that I had a threshold. And when I met it, my body would get like buzzy. And I knew it was time to leave because I could not do more. Yep. My hamstrings get tight and I'm like, yeah. oh, I got to go. A thing's about to happen. I can feel yeah. it. It's not good. Yeah, and that's the thing, because I I can deal with all sorts of really intense stuff. I can write reports. I can do really cool stuff. Ask me to go to a dinner party. I will die. Right. I cannot do that. That's well, not weird my thing. for me is um, I if I go to like I don't love sports, but if I go to a sports game, the noise will not bother me. I don't squeaky sneakers on a basketball court when I'm at a basketball game. Fine. If I'm speaking on stage and there's a thousand people and one person has squeaky sneakers, let's say 500 feet from me and a sneaker squeaks, dead, I'm dead, I died. It's like being shot in public. Yeah, yeah, because that's the thing when you're in it. Well, it's the difference between uh, go, getting into a shower and being sprayed with a fire hose. Because you choose the shower, you choose the temperature, you choose the the regulation, you get into an environment that you know you're getting into. There's lots of autistic people that love going to concerts because they pay to go to see this concert. They have really intense noise, light, they're crammed together with people. They know what to expect from the sensory experience. But when you're, you know, ambushed by it, it's intolerable. Right, 
Right. But there is, um, there are a lot of neurotypical parents, especially, who really rely on those terms like low functioning uh, to get services they think they need. So this is Allison Singer, and she is an autism mom. Here's what she said. Read this for me. While my family's day-to-day struggles have lessened, that hasn't happened for many others who are suffering because so many people in society fail to understand how the needs and abilities of people with autism can vary so widely. This was illustrated to me earlier this year when a four-year-old nonverbal autistic boy was kicked off a Spirits Airlines plane for not wearing a mask, despite having a doctor's note exempting him from due to his condition. In advocating for his son, the father was told that his son's autism was not a disability. Ah, so this is why I think we confuse people because we're like autism culture. We're super excited. We don't like ASD. We don't like the medical model. And I don't love announcing this, but like masks were extremely hard for me. One of my hardest things is things touching my face. When I had a baby, babies, babies with sticky hands really like to touch your face when you're their mother. And it was insane. Like I had trouble bonding with my child because touching my face was such a big part of it. And it was not okay with me at all. And masks, I had a lot of panic attack. I always wear masks. I'm pro masks. I love masks. I got my vaccines. I did all the things. I did not get a doctor's note, but there were a couple times where I almost did. I thought about it. And I'm not for and nonverbal. So I was able to manage it. So labels, is it a disease? Is it helpful here? How do we make that distinction? Uh, Well, again, not a disease, not a disorder, but is a disability from a social model. Because again, being forced to blend into a society that does not understand or accept us, that is a disability. Uh, Just like, uh, again, the deaf community, uh, to my understanding, I am not deaf. but Ooh, we're I, about I to talk about deaf culture in a minute. I'm very oh, excited. Oh, what do you got? Oh, neat. Yes. <laughs> yeah, because again, uh, deaf people have a culture all their own. And uh, to my, again, to my knowledge, are very proud of doing it. And if you said, hey, could I stab this in your brain? All of a sudden you hear, that would not be a desirable outcome for them because they have other ways of doing the world instead of doing it from a hearing perspective. Right. But if you're at the doctors or you're at the lawyers, let's say, better example, and you're deaf, you are still going to need some sort of support. You are not going to magically hear the the lawyer isn't going to magically learn sign language. So you're going to need an interpreter and you might need a doctor's note to get that interpreter, that service or that support yeah. In order to be a part of the hearing majority and to be able to talk to your lawyer, you're going to need an interpreter. You're going to need a, I was going to say a telex machine, but anyway, some texting device or writing or some yeah. ability to communicate, which doesn't take away the fact you're part of deaf culture. It doesn't take away the fact this four-year-old boy is part of autistic culture and needed an accommodation Right. Right. The father then says, hey, he needs an accommodation. And somebody maybe on team autism culture 
is like, oh, I heard autism is is not a disease. I I heard autism is a culture thing. So I guess you should be able to flow with it. This is how Allison continues her point. The solution proposed by those who oppose labels, explaining how autism manifests itself without applying label, assumes that we live in a world where it's always feasible for a stressed out parent to receive a laundry list of specific symptoms and behaviors, or one in which members of the public always have an ideal reaction to these explanations. I, I have given letters to people before to keep in their car in the event that they're pulled over by the police so that they can explain mm. that they are autistic, that they might not be verbal, that they should not be shot. Because, again, we live in a world where we are disproportionately targeted to, by law enforcement because we are different. And I, I hope that letters like this could save people's lives uh, because, yeah, we live in a society that's incredibly biased and wants us to behave in a certain way and react in a certain way. And this is, my son is largely nonverbal. He, he, he speaks mainly through echolalia, and I know that he needs accommodations in order to thrive in a world that does not understand him. And it doesn't make him any less autistic. It doesn't make him any less brilliant. He he memorizes so many things. He memorized the opening crawls to the Star Wars movies before he was four. He 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 draws electric towers from memory. He's such a brilliant, brilliant kid. But the world believes that intelligence is linked to the ability to speak. So there will inevitably be people who doubt his intellectual abilities because he's not able to articulate as well as someone else might. Or in and the way that they expect him to yes, articulate. Exactly. So and that's a thing. So we so we like we don't like the word deficit, but we are okay with the word disability. Especially from a social model, because, again, we do need accommodations to be on equal footing for other people. Uh, for instance, there's if someone is a wheelchair user, they are not any less of a person. They just need a ramp. Right. You're, you're not going to have to, you know, crawl upstairs because that's insane. If someone, you know, uh, is does not hear or is unable to see or is unable to speak, all of these things can be disabilities from a social model, but they can still live long and happy lives. Uh, it doesn't make them any less of a human being or any less deserving of accommodations. And we, we unfortunately live in a world that uh, has this bootstrap mentality, which, fun fact, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, was originally meant as a joke because that's an impossible activity. Exactly. But yes, it is an impossible activity. I never thought of that before. Just try yeah. that in your mind right now. It's not yeah, a good yeah. idea. <laughs> it's madness. And we, we live in this pseudo meritocracy where people believe that, you know, your abilities determine your worth as a human being. And we have to have disability justice. There's a lot of people who have difficulty leaving their houses. There's a lot of people who have difficulty with public transportation, difficulty, you know, representing themselves in formal settings. And for that, we have to come to terms with the fact that human lives have value. Mm. Uh, disabled or not. So we have to destigmatize the label disability 
to say that, you know, human life has inherent inherent value. Yeah. I want to go back to deaf culture. Uh, I think we've talked about this before, but uh, sign language was one of my special interests. And I spent about five years really immersed in deaf culture and was actually almost the stage manager for uh, one of the top deaf theater groups. And as part of that, I went to Gallaudet, um, which Deaf You is the TV show you might know. Um, But I spent time in the grad program at um, Gallaudet University, which is the only liberal arts school exclusively uh, undergrad exclusively for deaf people. And it's where a lot of the deaf culture work comes out of. And one of the first things that I was taught was this difference between being deaf with a lowercase d, which is a medical diagnosis that means you can't hear, and being a part of what's called big D deaf culture. And big D deaf, and I think of this as little a and big A autistic, but big D deaf culture included all of the social beliefs, behaviors, art, literary traditions, history, values, shared communities that have influenced deaf people. So a lot of people don't know this. It's one of my favorite things um, in deaf culture and deaf history. But most printing presses, printing presses at the turn of the century were extremely loud. And so they were run almost exclusively by deaf people who had businesses that were very successful and they thrived in the printing press world. That's awesome. It's very cool. And it's all connected to, yes, the medical diagnosis and the the medical symptom of not being able to hear plays a very key role, but printing and print, and obviously, you know, I'm the linguistic autistic here, so I love books and printing and beautiful papers, and there's beautiful deaf collections of like the original letter presses. All of that is connected to not being able to hear when the printing press was so ridiculously loud. So it is both an actual medical condition. For us, it's mTOR proteins and being hypersensitive and monotropic and all that stuff. For them, it's not being able to hear, which has many different causes, as does autism. But Big D deaf members of the community take pride in being deaf. It is a linguistic minority instead of a neuro minority. Now, an interesting thing happened actually while I was at Gallaudet and involved in deaf theater at the time. And what happened was the introduction of the cochlear implant, which you hinted at and we've talked about. And I think this provides such a great ethical framework for a discussion for us. So if there were a pill for autism, you and I have said we wouldn't take it. One day there was sort of a pill for uh deafness, the medical aspect of deaf culture, right? And that was the cochlear implant. Now, here's an interesting note. Just like any pill they would give us for autism, there would be horrible side effects and it largely wouldn't work. 
Um, But it would probably make neurotypical people feel very happy that they found the cure. So there are a lot of people who are very happy. They found the cure for deafness. Cochlear implants are a very unpleasant experience for most deaf people. But even before they knew it wasn't the perfect solution, people in big D deaf culture were like, stop the cochlear implant. Don't do this. Like, this is going to destroy our beautiful culture here. And then there were parents who had children who were hearing parents. The kids were, the parents were not a part of deaf culture and they were like, we could fix our baby. So while you and I might not take the pill, uh, if you were four years old and your parent was on that Spirit Airlines flight, they might be giving you the pill. Yeah. This is a big thing because with people who don't understand what it's like to live in that situation, neurotypical parents of autistic children, hearing parents of deaf children, uh, there is the possibility for internalized ableism. And internalized ableism is a form of trauma where we see ourselves as not as good as people who are other, uh, like, like, you know, not as good as the majority. And I've actually encountered a number of autistic deaf people with cochlear implants where the, that's where the internalized ableism stems from mm. because they, they, they don't see themselves as the big D deaf culture. They see themselves as a flawed hearing person. Yeah. They don't and see listen, themselves. Big D deaf culture also might not accept them. Because it yeah. is seen yeah, well, as such a betrayal to have a cochlear implant. Exactly. So you're caught between worlds where you don't fit in either. And that is that is a very damaging thing to be. Because, again, when it comes back to labels, and is it better to be me or a label, there are three big important questions in everyone's life. Who am I? Where did I come from? And where am I going? Mm. Those are the three big essential questions that we must ask ourselves and we must find out answers in our lives. And if your who am I changes against your will, that is traumatic. If you can't accept where you come from, if you don't know where you're going, that is traumatic. This internalized ableism does more damage than any cure to try to, you know, make people fit into the mainstream. Yeah, and I'm going to give you a quote. This is from a very reputable source known as Wikipedia. But I did think this summed it up, and I'll put the show notes linking to it here. But this is about deaf culture. Being involved in the deaf community, with a capital D, and culturally identifying as deaf has been shown to significantly contribute to the positive self-esteem in deaf individuals. The community can provide support, easy social interaction, and refuge from the grinding frustrations of the hearing world. Conversely, deaf individuals who are not a part of the deaf community may not have the same support in the hearing world, resulting in lower self-esteem. This is true. I mean, it's a big thing. This And so, like, here's the thing. There's so much, like, snake eating its tail here, but you diagnose someone with ASD, you tell them they have all these things that they have to fix about themselves, you put them into ABA, they fail at fixing them, which they're going to because it's like trying to tell someone who's deaf to hear better and try harder and maybe squint your ears or something. Like you're just not going to get good at not being autistic. You're then going to fail 
you will be frustrated. You will probably have less good social interactions, more meltdowns, uh, possibly depression, possibly suicidal ideation. Because who wouldn't if all day you were trying to like fix your deafness by trying harder? And then you're just going to repeat that with, well, then let's give you more of the thing that actually made it worse. But if we say, hey, welcome to autistic culture, come hang out in this community, it's not like those initial symptoms go away. It's just that they don't get compounded leading to the worst ones. Yeah. And that's the big thing about ABA, because uh, for those who don't know, the guy who invented ABA uh, used the same methods to create gay conversion, because just like he believed that autistic people could be turned neurotypical, he believed that gay people could be turned straight. And just like with gay conversion, it uh, results in a very high rate of suicide, because the people who undergo that process are told that they are not valuable, that they you know, are wrong, that they need to fight against themselves, that they need to change. And this is a big thing, because instead of finding and accepting queer community, you're taught that you are somehow fundamentally flawed. And this is the same for autistic people, and it causes so much damage. And why do I have the feeling that this guy whose name I don't even want to know, but is neither queer nor autistic. Just right. guessing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He is a he is a terrible human being who who <laughs> said that autistic people are not human. Uh, he said that we're human in the classical sense and that we have eyes, ears, a nose, and a mouth, but we are not human in the psychological sense. So he created a 30 to 40 hour a week behavioral th- therapy regimen that includes electric shocks. And even today at the Judge Rotenberg Center, they strap tasers to children that are three times more powerful than a police taser. Uh, Yeah, these are called uh, graduated uh, accelerator devices, GAD. Uh, But anyway, they at one time, fun fact, uh, someone decided to pull a prank and call the Judge Rotenberg Center and say, yeah, this kid is acting up. You should definitely shock him. And without, you know, checking to see if that was a doctor, they shocked the kid 27 times with a taser that's more powerful than a police taser because some rando on a phone said to do so. How do people end up at that center? Are there children that are placed there by their parents? Is it the state? How, how, why would someone be there? it, It is advertised as a cure for these sort of things, for people who are autistic and have other similar issues. Uh, that they believe that using these shocks is a foolproof method to, quote, fix people. I'm sure so their there success are lots of people, rates are great. Uh, there, there are, if you want to check it out, there's lots and lots of uh, testimonials from people who used to live there about how tortured they were. Uh, there's also a lot of lawsuits involved with the Judge Rotenberg Center trying to silence their critics. Uh, one such lawsuit is the Neuroclastic. They're they're suing the Neuroclastic right now for reporting accurately on the activities at the GRC. Wow, that's some some Scientology shit. Yeah. We love sharing stories of autistic culture. And if you are seeing yourself in any of these stories and you're wondering if maybe you're one of us or maybe you're already diagnosed or self-diagnosed and you want to know if Matt can help you live your life better and be more authentically autistic, 
check out his website at mattlowerylpp.com. That's Matt, M-A-T-T, Lowry, L-O-W-R-Y. And then that LPP, it stands for Licensed Psychological Practitioner. So head on over to mattlowerylpp.com and learn more about working with my buddy, Matt. Well, I want to tell you about Carl Gustav Arvid Olaf Kronberg. That's and a name. It's a great name. He is a Swedish American who actually just died this year. Um, in 2022, he died. Uh, amazing guy who is the f- grandfather, I guess now, of deaf culture. So he was the Me? first person to coin the term. And now I would like you to guess, was he deaf or not? I'm hoping he was. He was, of course. Good. So he was a deaf linguist. He was uh, one of the first, I don't think it's called an inventor, but I don't know, worked on codifying American Sign Language and -hmm. also talked about the differences between in the 50s between the white sign, white American Sign Language and black American Sign Language, because intersectionality is everywhere, people. Of course. Um, And... What he did is he actually came in and said, we have to talk about ourselves as a community, as a linguistic minority. And the reason I bring up his name and I want him to know his name more than the founder of the ABA is that when you listen to deaf people about what they need, they are going to get results that reduce the negative outcomes of being deaf. And when you listen to autistic people and you bring autistic people into the conversation, you're going to have a hard time finding an autistic person who says, I think electric shock treatments for babies is a great way to go. That that'll work. Right. So talk to autistic people and our our friends who commented and said labels aren't good I, I know you said it in a more subtle way than that but check yourself before you wreck yourself because that sounds like some neurotypical ableism to me yeah. um, and maybe you're not and if you're not that doesn't mean I mean a lot of this stuff can be internalized ableism a lot of there are autistic people in my life who would not call themselves autistic and might drive their kid to the Rottenberg Center to try and save them from the miseries that they had growing up. I'm sure there are deaf parents that are not part of big D deaf culture who have sent their kids for cochlear implants, hoping their kids could be normal because not being normal hearing was painful for them. I've worked with several people who I see that they're autistic, but they would never, ever, ever admit to it because that would be bad. And again, it's it's it might be masking. It might be survival skills, because, again, I learned at a very early time in my career that I could not come out, that it was dangerous to come out. But at the same time, when I realized that my son is autistic I realize that I have to make a change. This is why I'm an advocate, because I want the world to treat him better than it treated me. Okay, so I have a pop quiz for you. Oh, yes. Do you know the name of the first person who is autistic to use the term autism rights? 
I do not. Uh, we should know, know it and celebrate it. Jim Sinclair. Neat. Tell us about Jim Sinclair. Jim Sinclair, born, uh, oh, I don't know when he was born, but uh, he came up with the term autism rights and the autism rights movement in the 1980s. And this was his crazy idea. He said uh, that the that autism is the result of natural variations in the human brain and that we are a neurodiverse species. Crazy talk. I like that. Crazy talk, right? It's like we have different hair color, different eye color, different finger length, different toe shapes, and yes, different brains. They are not all exactly the same. Thanks, Jim, rocket scientist. That was crazy of you to say. And uh, he he talked about the autistic acceptance movement, which for me, I want to go a little, can we talk about autistic justice? I want to go a little Ooh. bit further than being like, accept, like, thanks for tolerating me. Yeah, yeah, that, that's my problem with Autistic Awareness Month. We're just vaguely just aware. aware that we exist. Just yeah. be aware. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, my, my vote is Autistic Justice and um, that it is through Autistic Justice that we solve some of the mental health and mental well-being challenges that we have as a neuro minority. I... I guess I want to spend a little time on a few other labels because this is like what labels do we like and what labels do we don't like show. But uh, neurodiversity, neurodiverse, neurodivergent, neurominority. I have many terms here um, and I often see them thrown around and we'll put neurotypical in there too. I often see them thrown around in different ways that in some cases might be harmful to autistic people. So I have had people call me neurodiverse. I know you're neurodiverse. And I don't know why, but this is one of those like autistic twitches I get. I'm like, but it does. That's not how that word works. Right. So do you want to talk about how you think of neurodiverse and neurodivergent as different? They sound like similar words, especially if you don't see color. God. Oh, God. Yeah. Because that's the thing. Uh, Let's let's. Oh, okay. So right near I have a gold dice and a a gold die and a silver die together. They are a diverse group of die because they are different. But one die cannot be diverse because it's just one. (laughs) <laughs> and this is the thing about being a neurodivergent person. Uh, you can't be a neurodiverse person because you're only one person. That's not how that works. And even then, the, the term neurodivergent is something of a, a large blanket uh, term that's used to represent the enormity of all of the different types of neurodiversity that is not equated to being autistic. Autistic is a very specific type of neurodivergence, but it's not neurodivergence in itself. You can't be a neurodiverse person who is, yeah, that, so. We are all neurodiverse. If you are human. Yeah, you are neurodiverse. Welcome to the world. Yeah, it yeah. is a humanity a- <laughs> is neurodiverse. Yes, right. And that, but that's the thing. It's 
the, the people who tend to use neurodivergent over just flat out autistic tend to minimize the specificity of the autistic identity. Mm-hmm. Again, it, it seems to be more of the ASD or autistic spectrum or, you know, whatever, as uh, a, a, a way of saying you are different because, again, neurodivergence represents all differences. It's it's like going to, you know, a person of color and saying you are a diverse person. Right. And, well, <laughs> Thank while you. technically true, probably offensive. Right. Because it sort of implies I'm not. And there are many. So if we look at, let's just say, picture a bell curve. And let's say, I don't know, 60% of people are in the neuro majority. So it's a diverse world, but a whole bunch of them look alike. Most tulips are... I don't know, two feet long. There's some three foot tulips. There's some one foot tulips. But in general, tulips are two feet. This is our middle ground, the middle of the bell curve. Then you have- The typical part, yes. The typical part of the bell curve, yes. So then you have people that are not neurotypical or neurodivergent, but not all of these people that are neurodivergent are- part of autistic culture or what we're talking about on this show. They might be informed by it and they might be like, oh, there's something in my neurodivergent culture that is like this. Some neurodivergences might be cultures and some might not be because I actually don't have any connections to, um, I don't know, let's say the kidney disease world, but I don't know that there's a kidney disease culture in the way there's a deaf culture. So I don't know that every single neurodivergent condition has their own culture. We're talking about autism culture. Mm-hmm. So I think that distinction, every, uh, I forget what, special ed, is that what we called it in school? Special education, I think is what we called it. I hear like, I want to say, well-meaning neurotypical people calling me neurodiverse like saying special education, like they're tr- like they're trying to be politically correct. And like, I don't want to take away that effort because like A for effort, these ca- those words sat neurodiverse, neurodivergent, like they sound similar. How is that different from autism? Um, you know, I remember there was a point in the 80s where uh, the term African-American was coming into fashion and I had a friend who was Caribbean American who happened to be black and suddenly everyone stopped calling her black or colored which is what we still said in my town I'm really sorry it's terrible Um, but they didn't call her the colored girl now they called her the African-American girl she was not African-American at all she was from Trinidad like so erasing a big part of her culture right but I think people are trying i hear the term neurodiversity more and more i just hear it used wrong and i'm like oh do i correct you do i say thank you for hurting my feelings but what about those labels i think that's part of why people like patricia and carol write to us and say let's not use labels i don't see color because labels can be tricky because it, it involves asking people hey what label do you like Oh, yeah, that's a hard one. 
Uh, yeah. mean, treat people like people and just ask them, what do you prefer? Yeah. Whenever I meet a new person, I say, what are your pronouns? Because it's bad to assume someone's pronouns. And it's easy to ask. Not only yeah. is it bad not to, it takes almost no effort to find out, hey, if I'm referencing you, what pronouns would you like me to use to reference you when you're not around? Yeah. Not. Yeah, it's it's just part of being respectful of people. Right. So the last thing I want to talk about is um, autism in popular culture that is written in most cases, again, just because this is the majority of humans, that is written by neurotypical people. I'm going to use all autistics people's favorite example, our favorite autistic savant, Rain Man. Uh Um why, when we are labeled in entertainment, is it not good, but when we label ourselves, it is good? Because we are labeled by people who are not us who choose our labels for us and usually get it really, really wrong. And usually get it wrong. <laughs> yeah, because the, the most famous recent example is Sia's music. Oh, And sweet if baby you Jesus. haven't seen it, it is one of the most offensive minstrel shows I've ever witnessed in my life and I have I I collect propaganda (laughs) and uh, instances of because I I love you know seeing uh, and remembering how misrepresentation affects things and oh my god I had to live stream this movie because when watching it I was periodically horrified with one horror surmounting the previous horror that just got worse and worse throughout the movie because and she so, has been yeah. she has been called in called out and she is standing by her work which is ridiculously unfortunate <laughs> especially because she has EDS and a large number of autistic people have EDS and is that Ehlers-Danlos is, syndrome yes she oh I didn't know that yeah and that's the thing because that leads to the possibility does she have internalized ableism? Is she one of us and doesn't realize it? Because that makes everything even way worse. Wow, I did not know that. Wow. Yeah. 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 So we're yeah. like, ask people, but don't ask them if they have internalized ableism. Anyway, these comments that we got this week, and by the way, please, we get lots of positive comments too. We just didn't have enough material for a whole show. We want your comments. Comment on YouTube, on our Substack, comment and podcast feeds, give us ratings, give us reviews. Maybe we'll do a show about you. But what I want to say is for me, they led to an even deeper discussion. And I do think what's under there that it is valuable to be you and labels can be valuable, but labels aren't always valuable. And this is the process uh, of really codifying this culture. Deaf culture went through this, particularly in the 70s and the 80s, of really codifying what does deaf culture mean. We are defining autistic culture here together in this moment. And these labels, when they are helpful, we want them. And when they are destructive, we don't want them. And it's not black and white. And that makes life very complex, which I know most people would prefer it to not be complex, but luckily 
we're autistics. We love a little layered nuance. This is how we roll. This is how we roll. <laughs> so that was some big, heavy stuff, Matt. You have, I, I, maybe you have a more uplifting story of the joys of autistic culture. What, what's something wonderful that you experienced this week being autistic? I, so again, my, my main uh, business is doing therapy with autistic people exclusively and doing autism evaluations. And it was magnificent in doing an autism evaluation with a family and talking about the the you know great points about being autistic and pointing out how a kid is a little scientist and looking to understand the world and with the family gradually understanding that they too are autistic and that they've been fighting this internalized ableism their entire life and that there is a new way to do things and using this autistic label as helping them find their true selves because it is it is a big part of us and being able to be themselves because before they were able to identify as autistic they they were just called weird and jittery and spazzy and all sorts of other things oh awkward that was one of our other comments this week why don't you just do an awkward podcast show (laughs) yeah exactly yeah yeah it's just And that's the thing, because we will have labels no matter what. And labels can be good. Labels can be bad. It's sort of like saying, oh, don't worry about that label of doctor. You're a person with a PhD. Don't worry about that label of mother. You're a person with a child. Some labels are integral to who we are and help us enhance our sense of self. Uh, Others, not so much. And this is being able to represent the autistic culture, being able to represent the autistic community and invite these people in to help them see who they are and understand themselves better. This is why I do it, because it's fantastic. I love meeting new people and helping them find themselves. I love that you uh, helped lead that family to the land of Autistica. Welcome. Hopefully you have been led a little bit today to the land of Autistica. Maybe you will join us here. We love having you join us on the show, and we look forward to your ratings, reviews, comments, criticisms, attacks. Bring it on. We love our listeners. We're so glad you're here. And thanks for joining us. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to the Autistic Culture Podcast. If you like this show, you can help other people find it by taking a few minutes to rate and review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You can find out more about writing your book with me at differencepress.com. That's difference d-i-f-f-e-r-e-n-c-e press p-r-e-s-s dot com or getting a psychological evaluation or consult with me at www.mattlowrylpp.com that's m-a-t-t matt lowry l-o-w-r-y l-p-p as in licensed psychological practitioner dot com We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And remember, no one ever changed the world by being like everyone else.